Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and today's guest, Russell Howcroft. Now, a lot of people know Russ from my television show, Gruen. If you watch that, we speak a lot about Gruen in this episode. Uh, I think at one stage, uh, Russell is trying to identify a particular ABC person who offered a drink before our very first show and at the time I didn't know exactly who that was but I have done a little bit of investigation and it was the fabulous Lou Porter who is an ABC stalwart who um, uh, one of those legendary ABC people who has been with the organization for an incredibly long time and one of those incredible ABC people that is uh, under threat whose jobs are under threat because of the current uh, economic restrictions imposed on the ABC by the government. Uh, what happens, unfortunately, is a lot of the people who've been there for a long time get offered redundancies. Um, uh, some incredible members of our team, some people I've worked with over the last 20, 25 years that I've had the pleasure of being on the ABC in various projects. Um, some of those people are now being offered uh, redundancies and having to leave the organisation, and it's a great shame that this uh, wealth of experience and service to public broadcasting is being lost from the national broadcaster. So uh, to Lou, but to all the people like Lou who have built the ABC into the incredible organisation it is, I'd just like to give a particular shout out. And we do talk a lot about this show. In this, we didn't mean to, but we just started talking about Gruen and then we ended up speaking about the intricacies of it a lot. If there's somebody that we didn't mention, and there will be plenty of people because we didn't plan to go through everybody, but we ended up talking about a lot of different people. Uh, there is uh, all the people mentioned on this podcast, but an incredible amount of other people uh, who aren't particularly shouted out individually during this uh, all go into making this incredible show. Um, so uh, a big shout out to everybody who helps us make our television show and everybody who uh, is going to help us to make it again this year in what will be incredibly uh, different and and sometimes difficult circumstances. I imagine we're going to be uh, doing a show without an audience this year, and you know we'll be doing it socially distanced, and we'll be doing it with a minimal crew. And I imagine that we'll be doing it um, with people maybe even in different states because they can't travel over borders. We don't know at this stage, but in the current state of Australia, you know um, we think we have a responsibility to uh, err on the side of caution, to set an example, to you know not push. The boundaries of what can be pushed but to you know present something in a way that we think is safe and sensible sensible and uh you know is hopefully you know industry standard and more um because we've always considered ourselves to be one of those shows that tries to do the best that we can possibly do russell howcroft it's his birthday today on the day that this is coming out this is a special birthday edition for russell howcroft but this is an episode that was recorded I don't know, like a month, a month and a half ago now, when it was still safe for Victorians to travel over the border. So Russell and I actually did this one in person. This is an in-person catch-up. He came up to the house to check out where I'm living now, and uh, we had a lovely lunch with him and his uh, wife and uh, Amy and I, and uh, then Russell and I got together uh, and we recorded this episode of the podcast. So I hope that you'll enjoy this. I hope the insight that you get both into Russell and into the show uh, is something, Russell's one of those guys that by the very nature of his beliefs, many of which are diametrically opposed to, often I get the question on this, well, you know, why won't you have Pete Evans on? Why won't you have Sam Newman on? And the truth of it is that I like to get people on that I like and I respect. Uh, some of them have very different opinions about how the world works to me. 
And Russell Howcroft definitely falls into that category. Russ and I agree on a whole bunch of different things about the world. We perhaps disagree on some of the methods and ways that we get to those things, but I feel like we have a lot in common and it's nice to hear from somebody who also thinks in a very different way about the world than I think about the world. So this is Russell Howcroft. If you like the show, uh, this is what we're aiming for. So this week will be a good example. If we can get to $5,000 a month on Patreon, what we're going to try to do is a brand new episode once a week and then a catch-up episode once a week and so this week we had a brand new episode with a brand new guest Ursula Carlson that came out on Wednesday if you have not heard that check out the Ursula episode she is hilarious and wonderful and it was great to spend time with her and another person uh, who brings a bit of the same energy to my world is Russell and so this is just a fun and energetic and interesting and funny you know week so you get the brand new episode with Ursh on Wednesday, you get this catch-up episode with a previous guest later on in the week. That is going to be the model going forward if we make it to $5,000. The way we can do that is you can go to the Patreon page, patreon.com slash philosophy, W-I-L-O-S-O-P-H-Y, and uh, donate there for as little as a US dollar per month. Uh, one final thing. Uh, I have some other podcasts, Tofop, Fofop, Two Guys, One Cup, and we have a brand new website with all James Fosdyke's original art on it. So if you want to go and check that out, I highly recommend it. It is tofop.com. There are links to Willosophy. You can send a message through that if you're not a Patreon member, but you want to contact me, there's a contact form on that page. You just go to the contact form. You reference which podcasts that you want to send a message to, and you can send a message to Willosophy and give me some feedback about the show. If you would like to do that, but of course, the best way to get a response from me is go to the Patreon page and send me a message there. Okay, I think that's uh, all you need to know about today's episode. I hope you're safe and well. Uh, to my Victorian friends in particular, wishing you well and I uh, hope you enjoy the show. Oh, one last thing, of course. Uh, Russell Howcroft starts on Monday morning, this Monday morning coming. This was the reason that I actually put this one up today. So. I better mention this. Uh, Russell Howcroft starts as part of 3AW's Breakfast Show. We talk about this a lot during this episode because the 3AW Breakfast Show is one of the most successful radio shows in the history of Australia and helmed by one of the great comedic and radio geniuses in Australia, Ross Stevenson. And Russell is about to join that. You can tune in to the 3AW Breakfast Show if you're in Melbourne and you like your AM radio, don't be put off by the fact that it's a 3AW, which can sometimes be a bit right-wing and reactionary. The Breakfast Show... Uh, normally is not so much of those things. So if you like Russell and uh, you like 3AW, be tuning in from Monday morning and uh, support Russell doing that. So uh, thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. And well, how about this? It's a moment of history. This is the first time post-pandemic that I have done a face-to-face episode of this podcast. It is the first time that I have done this podcast in a place I am hoping that will be my home for a, a considerable portion of the rest of my life. And so a place where I hope that I will get to make a lot of uh, shows and entertainment and this is my office that I'm sitting in right now so whatever it is that I create a lot of it's going to be created in this space so it is very nice to have my first time guest on this podcast sitting across from me in a respectfully 
socially distanced uh, way. We're we're, the, we're more than the required 1.5 metres apart from each other. We're at least three metres apart from each other. Uh, but it is a pleasure to have you here. It is a return guest to the podcast. And uh, the podcast always starts like this. I ask the guests who they are. So who are you? Russell Howcroft here, Will. <laughs> Hello, Russell Howcroft. Now, Russell, you know what I love for a start? uh, It's something that we talk about all the time at Gruen, and I don't know if it's something that you do for everybody. Um, I imagine that it probably is, but we notice this obviously just because it's something that you do for me, which is that you use people's names a lot. You certainly use my name a lot. Uh, So... When uh, we do a rehearsal in the afternoon, so you and Todd, for people who don't know, when we do a Gruen rehearsal, because we didn't really talk about Gruen last time you were no. on the show, so we can we can talk about that at the Great. start. Um, which was, uh, the way that the show works is that uh, you guys really come in in the afternoon on a Tuesday when we tape, and we have a quick little dry run of, uh, you know, here's some clips I'm going to show Here's who you know, the first question in each of these things is going to go to. Yep. Um, but we don't show you the monologue. We don't show you anything that you don't need to know about to talk about the show. You obviously know what topics we're going to talk about on the show. So, you know, uh, but we don't have a rehearsal rehearsal. But I have a rehearsal rehearsal during the day. And often that means that for some of those rehearsals, I will have people from the groom crew who sit in the various chairs. And one of the games that we like to play is predict what the guests will say to this answer. So what ends up happening is that, you know, uh, there are little uh, catchphrases Mm -hmm. or little ways of speaking that the uh, panellists start to pick up. And one of them, if you're doing a rustle, is to put Will at the end. Whatever well, the answer is, you've got to say then you've got to finish it with Will. Well, Will. <laughs> well, Will. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, you're in a seat of authority, aren't you? So you know, I'm, I'm just it's it's almost deferential, really. Will, what what's going on there? Because you're in charge, and I suppose I just want to make sure that I'm directing it back to the person who's in charge. That that's I don't know. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I know that I think even if we looked at episode one, two, three, four, five. I would have done it, yes, I reckon I would have done it from the very beginning because I just would have been wanting to make sure that I was being as clear as I could. And I think that might be my way of being, of trying to be clear. I want to answer you. I want to answer the question as best as I can. Of course, one of the one of the joys of Gruen is, yes, there's a studio audience and yes, there's a camera, but you're not talking to the camera or the studio audience you're talking to you or you might occasionally talk to one of the other panel mem- panel members but not that much actually it, it's occasionally I might have fun with Todd but it is really about directing through you and then um, hopefully saying something that's insightful or occasionally saying something which is predictable um, maybe 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 it's a hundred percent predictable now. <laughs> probably is but that's okay because that's sort of part of the rhythm of the show isn't it and um i suppose me saying well will has probably become part of the rhythm of it or the language of it it's amazing to me uh i mean i can't remember what it was like at the start because it seems like a complete another lifetime ago man oh man well one thing one thing i do know for certain was that todd had an open-necked pink shirt on (laughs) <laughs> I 
So, so it had an open neck pink shirt. So it was pre-t-shirt. So we remember that. Yeah. No, uh, just... I was wearing a, a coloured shirt. There was coloured shirts in my wardrobe, at yes. least for the first couple of series yes. of the show. It's sort of greens and... Yes, sort of like uh, and thin pla- a thin mm. black tie and undone at the neck, always undone at the neck. Yeah, so my mother was... didn't like that. No, well, this was this was the styling. It was actually uh, see, Maria. The, the coloured shirts and the uh, undone at the neck. No, I think it might have been. And again, it's so long ago that I, if I'm misattributing to any of this yeah. to people, I apologise. This is only how I re- I vaguely remember it. I think it might have been an Anita and Andrew thing. I think there was a certain look they had that right. they thought Andrew Denton and Anita yes. Jacoby, who were the executive producers of the program, and of course John Casimir, who was the co-creator of the program yep. and, and later an executive producer of the program. I think they just had an idea of how I would look and yeah. and and yeah, you know, how it would present. There was people forget that I walked out. At the start, which was always a bit of a bane of contention. (laughs) Absolutely unnecessary. But they were convinced it was the right thing to do. And we still to this day, 12 years later, have a completely terribly designed set for the show that we do because the set was designed for me to walk out and stand in front of this archway that they created, which, of course, we don't use now, but... We've it's kept still there. because it's the ABC and we can't afford to get rid of it. The same chairs, actually, as well. The chairs are yeah, they're still as wobbly as they were 12 years ago. <laughs> so, see, I was just thinking about Todd and his T-shirt. So did, did Andrew and Anita suggest that? Because, okay, so the guy who's left of screen, we want him in a T-shirt. The guy who's right of screen, we want him in a, you know, open – I'm not wearing a tie, but I've got a suit jacket on, you know. So then we're going to have the punk rocker in the middle. So – uh, did they suggest to Todd that it was a T-shirt or did he get to that point by himself, do you reckon? I don't know. I would love to. I'm going to find that out. Because it does sort of – obviously it helps with the, um, you know, the 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 language, the visual yeah. language. It definitely yeah. helps with that. If you right? just turn on – if you were watching it with the sound down, yeah. you'd be like that sort of slightly longer-haired <laughs> T-shirt-wearing guy. He's the – He's clearly the lefty. He's the, the, he's the socialist. <laughs> and we've sat him to the left. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's so interesting, isn't it? Oh, my goodness me. And then, oh, yeah. Then, and then there's Russell. You know. Russell, if you could just hold this cane and put this top hat on just so that people can... Pipe. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. But, but, you know, you learn stuff, don't you? You learn stuff around casting and you learn stuff around, you know, a particular... Um, personality types and and but also i think uh gruen has definitely been a there's an alchemy there which um well they've the, the original casters in anita and andrew john you know they they i suppose they saw that there was an, uh, an opportunity for some alchemy um because you know we didn't i don't think we even did a test in the at the same time yeah we did, did i we? so my memory what i do remember is and I, I would love to hear what your memories of this are as well. So, t- actually, you, you, firstly, you tell me what you remember about being approached to do the show and whether it was an actual show and whether you knew what it was going to be at that point. Because I suspect no, because no. I well, I was already inside the tent at yeah. this stage. Yeah. Now, what what had happened was about a year prior, um, John came to see me and. It was, literally, it was a phone call out of the blue. We're thinking about doing this sort of, you know, show on the ABC. We're just doing some investigation around the advertising industry, just basically doing some research. 
Um, and then I'm going to say a year later, I received a phone call. I was um, down at summer holidays. And um, look, we've got a ticket for you. We'd love you to come up to the uh, up to Sydney for, I think it was a Saturday morning um, at ABC Studios because we're just going to just do a bit of a test and, you know. So I walked into, a, uh, not well, actually it wasn't a studio, it was more like a no, big... it was a meeting room. Me- meeting room. Yep. Um, and literally sat on the on your left, but on camera right. I sat there. You were in the middle. Um, I obviously knew who you were, um, but we didn't know each other clearly. And um, and then I just started talking about ads. You know, you started asking me about ads. I think we might have got into. Um, I think it might have actually been female sanitary products was um, first up. It was. Yeah, I remember that was at least one of the topics. Right. And yeah. I, I the reason I remember that is. That it's almost the reason that Todd wasn't on the show <laughs> because Todd had done too much research. Oh, yes. So he had yeah. come in loaded to the gills with more <laughs> knowledge about female sanitary products than anybody in the world has the right to have. He's very and good I at remember that. afterwards, we all had just got a little Tom Cruise talking about Scientology vibe from him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you were yeah. just like, well, he, he knew too much about He's extraordinary it. though, isn't he? Mm. I mean, I'll never forget, we did Grew and Nation. Mm. Um, so a few years down the track where, of course, was around the election. Mm. And um, Winnie's uh, sniffing <laughs> Russell's hand and microphone as he uh, tries to do the podcast. Winnie, that's not very helpful Hello, to Winnie. Russell. So hang on. Winnie, come on. No. You keep talking and okay. I'll, I'll dog wrangle. Oh, okay. Do you want to, you're just going to sit there? That's okay. You, I'm okay. happy with Winnie right, there. Cool. If you're good. Yep, that's fine. That's so fine Winnie grew a nation. And um, so this was uh, a special, a grew and special around the election. So I'm just thinking, what year was that election? My goodness me. 2011, maybe. I'm no, gonna, no. yeah. Let's say that. Yeah. Um, and Todd rang me a few weeks prior to Gruen Nation, saying, "You know, Russell, this is a problem for me. I literally know nothing about Australian politics. I've got no interest in Australian politics. Um, I, I just really can't tell my left from my right." So. You know, I said, well, I'm sure you'll be fine, Todd, because, you know, well, obviously the show's incredibly well produced. I can't remember what I said. Anyway, what I do remember very well is three weeks later, episode one, Todd turns up and it's like he's got a PhD in Australian political <laughs> history. It was, it was unbelievable. So, yeah, he's very good. He's got a great retentive mind, obviously, and, and of course, takes – takes this stuff very seriously. Yeah. So Well, you only have to watch his obviously his other shows yeah. that he makes and they're very much about going to somewhere or someone and learning about, you know, the way yeah. that they do what they do and then yeah. kind of soaking it all in as as yeah. much as he possibly can. So you're absolutely right. Well, he had done that with Sanitary napkins, much like the sanitary napkins we were talking about soaked up the blue liquid, which I think was the only reason we actually wanted to talk about that segment was we wanted to get to what what's with the blue liquid, why right. can't you show blood? That right. was really probably the only question we wanted to wanted answered, but it turns out Todd could answer every other question that exactly. we might have possibly had. Insane. So then um, I then left. Yeah. So I flew up there for that weekend, left, and then... A few weeks later, I received a phone call and it was like, oh, we're going to do a pilot of the show. And that was so, so I turned up for this to do this pilot and I literally had no idea that there was a set, that there was a soundtrack, that there was graphics, 
that I would be sitting in that spot that I still set out today. I had no idea that that's what I was walking into. And then, of course, found myself, yeah, there's there's Will and there's, there's Todd um, and there's cameras and all of a sudden we're doing something, which obviously was more than just a play thing. And I genuinely had not really added up, you know, two and two. I, I really hadn't um, until I was obviously in that situation. And then I started to realise, hang on a sec, this is getting serious and this actually might happen. Uh, and then, of course... It was actually Anita who called me and said, look, you know, we would really love you to be a part of this show. And it's true that I, I said yes after some time, but I said yes in a, in a competitive move. Um, I was chief executive of an advertising agency group. And if I wasn't sitting in that seat, then someone else would sit in that seat. And so it was, it was a yes on that basis. And, and that is true because yeah. that they were the other people we were looking at. Exactly. I mean, we knew that we needed two heavy hitters of the industry. That's yeah. the absolute truth. We needed yeah. two people, you know, who were going to know their stuff back to front and that would be respected by the industry because otherwise, how would we get guests on? Because, because we've been doing this show for so long and people yeah. see it now as something, you know, people, at least some people in the advertising industry aspire to be on. There's still plenty of people that don't like the show, but yeah. some aspire to be on. Back then, there was real nervousness that the ABC was going to make a show about advertising and it might be a show that... And, and rip it apart. Yeah, which we actually do, yes. but just in a way that I think is, you know, not... It's okay. People have heard them snore on the podcast before. <laughs> that is, once they go to sleep, is actually, that's the sweet spot. That's, that's so okay. Cute. We're fine with that. It's like, <laughs> well, <laughs> exactly that. There was, there was fear and trepidation about the show. And certainly, I was I was fearful of you know being on that stage and talking about advertising. Yes, on the ABC, you know there was a sense that hang on, you know, frankly, is this a stitch up? Um, and in Will Anderson, you've got someone who is incredibly smart, obviously, but also someone who does know how to stitch stuff up. If he if if that's his intent, then that could easily be the the occurrence. So yes, I was I was there because I wanted to defend my agency. Because someone else, someone else's brand would be there if it wasn't my agency's brand. And the other bit, what which is perhaps the more arrogant bit, was I, f- I did feel confident in my love and passion for the ad business, and I felt that I could, I felt that I could represent it well, um, and I loved the opportunity to represent advertising um, because very much in the Australian context, we're not great at a love for that industry. The US love it, the UK love it. New Zealand love it. In fact, most markets, most Western markets, um, they just see it as part of, you know, capitalism and just part of, in, in some ways, part of entertainment. And it can be a joyful experience when done well. That's not really how we, that's not how we approach it. The Australian public doesn't approach it like that. So I suppose in a sort of a fantasy land, I've, I've sort of fantasized that perhaps we could, we could, pl- I could play a role in getting people to think about advertising a little bit differently. Do you think that it has made people think about advertising differently at all? Or is it just... Sometimes I think that it does, but in no sort of lasting or permanent way. Like from moment to moment, I think it can. I think that, you know, when we talk about something specifically, I think that there can be obviously an opportunity for the audience to reflect on that and an opportunity for probably maybe the industry to reflect on it. But I think that perhaps 
in a long-term lasting sense we're more a sideshow than making any particular yep. changes for sure the only uh, the only but bit is the education sector so what what we do know is that the education sector talk about the gruen effect and the gruen effect has meant more people wanting to go into courses that relate to you know the broader advertising marketing communication field that's a good thing because that's an increase in demand an increase in demand means that spots are going to become uh, more fought sought after or fought for therefore the number that's required will go higher and that's not a bad thing right so you know when i did my marketing degree in the mid 80s you know you didn't have to before you had to pass, but barely. So now, of course, you know you are getting some very smart cats who are, who are keen, and and I do think our show has played a role in that. Um, certainly, just anecdotally, over a long period of time now, people come up to me and say, you know, I love watching the show as a kid. It really it really made me want to be in the business. You know, I'm pleased that I am in the business. So that's nice when that happens. Yeah. But I, I, and I like to say that's like watching Breaking Bad and starting making mess. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, sure. I know. We each have our own. <laughs> I know. But I, I love all that. Lasting cultural change? No. no. But, um, you know, little incidental personal moments for sure. Uh, so when did you realise, because none of us knew that it was going to be as immediately successful as it was just as a yeah. and when i say you I mean we've just talked about the long lasting effects of it but i'm talking about the immediate effects in at the end of the day we're making a television show yeah our main job is to make a television show to make an entertainment show for television that yeah. is the job we are doing it is on wednesday night in an entertainment slot like yeah. it's it's an entertainment show you know an entertainment show that i hope has you know, a bit more to it than a lot of other entertainment shows. But first and foremost, that is, you know, what we are making. Yep. yep. And, you know, it comes from Andrew Denton. Andrew Denton, who at that point was, you know, still probably the biggest ABC name on television. You know, yep. Enough Rope had been an incredible... Like, he'd obviously had an incredible body of work up to Enough Rope, but Enough Rope had established him as Australia's Michael Parkinson at yeah. the time. You know, yeah. really the voice of the nature, particularly in... The voice of the nation, particularly in that sense of being that person you could trust who would sit down with these people and make smart, interesting television. Mm. And um, his brand, I think, was the thing that was probably most responsible for the fact that so I'd love to talk to John and those guys about this at some stage, but my greatest memory of it is I think I did more weeks of workshops than we did weeks of shows in the first series. Yeah, wow. And as you know, from having worked, you know, at network television, how rare it is sometimes these days that often your pilot is the first episode. Yeah. Whereas I think I did 10 workshops, you know, where we were developing what the show was and what it would be. Because it was, you know, it's a completely original concept, you know, it's yep. a panel show, but there's nothing like it on television and still to this day, like worldwide, there's nothing really like it on television. You know, a show that is an entertainment show where it's not for comedians or entertainers mm. on that panel, mm. you know, all advertising experts who are mostly asked to speak to their expertise. You yep. know, that's one of the rules of the show. We always say to people, you don't have to be funny. You don't have to be anything other than when I ask you a question, speak from your particular area of expertise and we will make a show around it. Yep. We weren't basing it on anybody else's thing. The show has evolved and developed into a very different thing over the years, you know, to what it was originally. We played a lot of games and oh my there gosh. was all sorts of, you know, nonsense early on as we were trying to work out what we did. One of the things I really remember, and it must have been from that pilot that we did, 
yeah, the proper pilot, the yeah. one with the cameras and yeah. everything, was that the pitch segment, which has become one of the most enduring parts of the program, a great idea. But if that had been our first episode, people would have seen that segment with two advertising agencies with flip yeah. charts. Flip charts. <laughs> <laughs> fucking flip charts <laughs> coming out with their fucking flip chart to run us through what their pitch for the fucking ad would have been. Oh, my goodness me. That was the segment. I remember. That's what we thought the segment was. I know. And and, and you're right, though. Now, that is... It's a beautiful part of the show. I mean, I, whenever I'm asked, I always say it's the best part of the show. You know, And it's, it's brilliant because... From an advertising person's point of view, it lets agencies just solve a problem without all the extraneous stuff. Yep. So you don't have the client getting in the way. You don't, you know, you're you're there to make a piece of entertainment. And invariably the ideas are super. You know, like it's pretty rare that you don't have something pretty damn good that's really well written. The agency put in a huge effort, you know, they really work as hard as they possibly can. They produce it for next to nothing. Next to nothing. Yeah. I mean, what happens, and again, this is, I mean, this is a bit behind the scenes, but often these are the questions you get asked. Or sometimes if one of the pitches doesn't land and we get some feedback around, yeah. like, you know, whether something in it was appropriate or not, I do say to people, it's the one part of the show where we offer, we are the client. Yeah. We are in a consultation with them. They'll send us a choice of scripts. We would choose one. But at the end of the day... If we're giving them 500 bucks to make something that probably would actually cost some thousand, some thousands of yeah. dollars, but yeah. they're relying on favors from people they work with, yep. and you know, so and so who shot our last ad or shoot this for you know, cheap, and we'll get this actor who was in our last thing to do it for nothing, and our regular voiceover guy will do the voice, you know, that sort of thing, calling in favors exactly yep. to do it for us. There is a point where we have to say, well, you. You can, you know, you get to make what you want to make. Yeah, like yeah. We can, we can give you as much feedback or, you know, as you as you want. But if at the end of the day you decide, no, That's we're what, just going to go with this, then, yeah, mate, you're doing, you know, we're giving you five hundred bucks to make something awesome. You, you yeah, knock yourself. Out. You know, and that and that the, the the pitch trophy, the pitch trophy is sought after. Many many agencies have that very proudly in their reception. Yeah, they they really they love doing it. Not every agency loves no. doing it, and that's that's one of the really interesting things about the industry. Yeah, so not everyone's desperate to be in that competitive situation. And no, I, and some of the bigger agencies are the ones who are the most yeah. terrified about it, yeah, or big, not necessarily terrified. Like there could be other motivations, but sometimes we have got a little pushback from the big yeah. ones who are like, "What if I go on and I get beaten by yeah. <laughs> more to lose?" Right? They've just got more right. to lose. They've got they, more they, to lose. They have more to lose. So. <laughs> So the independent, the independent yeah. shop that may have five people, that might have fifteen people, but yeah. they're unlikely to have one hundred and fifty people. They're the, they're the people that get into it, um, and that's why, and they they love it because it sort of galvanises the agency, um, it galvanises their suppliers to the agency, and they set out to win. Um, it's a really really strong memory of mine with um, Andrew with Andrew Denton. Um, I'm going to say year two maybe back end of year two and we had the pitch as per usual and i was flippant in my um in inverted commas judging judgment of uh, of the pitch and after the show he took me aside and said to me uh you're not doing that again it was quite and he really hit me right between the eyes he was very adamant about that's not what it's not that is not what is expected these people work very hard 
um, and they don't want you to be like that when you're judging them. And of course, it's true. So um, I was slapped and I was slapped pretty hard and I remember it very, very well. And um, I, hope, I, I hope I haven't done that since because I really do respect how hard they work to try and do something really fabulous. And every now and then they're really fabulous. You know, people absolutely love them. So I respectfully say it's the best part of the show. I mean, because I, obviously the monologue at the start's the best part of the show, Will. Thank you, Russell. <laughs> yeah, you finally realised from the dead look in my eyes since you said the pitch was the best part of the show that uh, <laughs> I was waiting for you to come to your senses. So the, <laughs> yeah, but you, uh, you, will, you will know as an ex-ad guy... Mm that um, doing stuff like that's tough, right? It's hard to do. And so I, I just respect them for doing it, that's all. And and I think the audience enjoys seeing little little fun 30 seconds. I agree. And like, we work really you know, desperately hard to try to give them good offers. Yes. And that's probably the toughest thing about that because originally the entire idea of the pitch is to sell the unsellable. Yeah. And so first year, it's easy. Declare war on New Zealand, you know, <laughs> good whale that? meat, you know, it's big, strong offers. But know, right? when, you've, when you're when you on offer 120 that you've had to roll out, we nice. it's probably the thing that we think about the most and try to, because we always like, well, you can't make something good if we don't at least try to give you a strong offer at the start. And yeah. sometimes it it doesn't work and sometimes it's because they don't connect with that offer or whatever. One of the things we're toying with at the moment, and I guess people will get to end up seeing um, how it goes this year, because, I mean, there is still a possibility we'll do a show without an audience this year because mm. our t- we're not back until the end of the year. But, you know, it still might be the time where we don't have a studio audience or we might have a substantially 50 minimized instead of 200, st- something yeah, like exactly, that. Yep. studio audience. Um, but also in regards to the pitch, uh, one of the things we've been toying around with is the idea that – because what – often works very well with the pitches is that they have some connection to the real world. And it feels like to me that, you know, in the times that we're going through and the fact that we're going to need to, you know, rebound from these times that we might have an opportunity to play around in the space of giving them, at least having some of them that have a good, mm. you know, real world connection. You yep. know, I think, you know, in a way that is very different to what we've done before, because we're obviously in pretty, you know, unusual times. I want to circle back to that, but yep. while we're talking about growing, let's, mm. You know, let's talk about this for a while and then, you know, people need a break from all the COVID stuff. But I do want to get your thoughts on, you know, where to from here and how what we've gone through has changed us. Right. So we'll right. put a pin in that and we'll come back to that. Okay. Okay. But let's go back to, um, okay, so we do our first episode. Yeah. Now, we weren't going live to, as in like, we've never gone live to air. We tape on a Tuesday night. It goes there on a Wednesday. We edit the show. Um, so... I think back then, though, we weren't doing it in real time. I reckon we might have done three or four episodes before the first episode went to air. Is that right? I don't think so. I don't think so. I No, I don't think so. I think we're straight into Tuesday night and then Wednesday night. Yeah, I'm sure, Will. I don't know. I don't I, I'm know trying to think true. of the name of the lovely uh, – there was a woman at the ABC who'd obviously been there for a long time and occasionally she'll come in to the green room now and it's embarrassing I can't think of a name but first so the first um, episode first taping she was standing at the door of the studio with about an inch of whiskey maybe not an inch what am I a centimetre and a half okay. of whiskey um, as I was as I sort of walked out she said here you go so alright and so I sculled that whiskey break a leg all that sort of stuff you know chookers 
And then the following week, so in my head it was like a sequence of weeks. We definitely did a sequence of weeks, but I think we did a sequence of weeks. So we were taping in the schedule Before that we were went taping, to air. but I don't think it went to air for... Oh. I think so. I mean, again... This is. It was so long ago that one of the two of us doesn't remember it right, <laughs> and I'm not sure which of the two. I'm gonna of back us you in, I reckon. And then anyway, so then the whiskey was there the second week. Drank that, sculled that. Third week the whiskey was there, and I said to her, "I think we might stop this now." Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> this uh, this is going to become a habit. You know, <laughs> you can't you can't do anything unless you have a centimeter and a half of whiskey. So I did I did for the first three weeks, and you know what? I mean, uh, yeah, it, it was very nerve wracking. I still get nervous though. Will it's not like, um, it's it's not like you just sort of turn up and talk. Um, I I. I I wouldn't say anxious is probably too strong a word, but I certainly get nervous. Um, the first question is always difficult. What's what's what do you get nervous about? Can you is it just a general sense of nerves, or is there something specifically that you are nervous about? No, it's just a general sense of nerves, um, and it's about it's a desire to do well. It's a desire to you know perform really because in the end, it is a it is a stage, and yes, it is. You are talking about stuff that you do know about. Um, nonetheless, um, there's expectation and you, you've got to obviously try and fulfill the expectation. I I do get anxious about making sure I do what you guys expect of me. Um, I don't want to let you down. Um, I don't want to make it difficult for the editors. Um, you know, I want to put the ball on the tee when it needs to be, when the ball needs to be put on the tee, I I want to put it there. Um, because, you know, that's part of what I... I sort of, I suppose, when I think about what I do, I think it's part of doing my role properly is making sure that happens properly. Um, and, you know, of course, you're at your worst when you've rehearsed what you want to say. Um, but then, so then I'll get, I'll get myself into trouble, um, internal trouble, when I've rehearsed what I want to say, but then that isn't what's... I know that that's not what's about to come out. <laughs> It's like, oh, then I'll get myself all a bit twisted. But then you always remind yourself that there is an editor and and you would know this better than me about me, Will. Often what I, often what will come out of my mouth halfway through is better than what where I started. Yeah, so I'll start talking and then I'll get to the point. When you have an editor, that that is really helpful. And when you realise that there's an editor, that's also helpful so you can sort of be true to yourself, recognizing that you're not going to get in the way of the show. Yeah. So I suppose that that's part of how I think about it. Um, yeah. But there's no lack of there's no the the nerves on the nerves on week three versus week one hundred and three are different, but they're still very much there. Yeah. Uh, so we. The first show goes there. Whether it goes there the next night or whether it goes there four weeks later. Yeah, I, think maybe I really right do think it was four weeks later. <laughs> yeah, I think no. you are right about that. <laughs> Look, my, my memory uh, for some very good reasons is not as good as it could be. So I'm not <laughs> normally the most reliable person to ask. You but got that right. Up. I think I do remember this. Yes. It goes to air. Um, normally I'm not in the business of, you know, rolling out my own credits, but for the sake of, you know, putting this in They're good. potential. It's the biggest debut of an ABC entertainment show since Kath and Kim. Insane. I think the second I think in the you you had some stat about the top I think the top five watch three, three of the top five. Yeah. So three of the top five watch shows on the ABC have been grown shows. So yeah. 
it was an immediately successful show for whatever reason. I think mostly because I had had a, another show at the ABC, The Glass House. It yep. had been about 18 months since that had finished. Andrew had obviously had a huge successful show. This was, you know, the first show that Andrew Denton, this person that people knew for making a certain style of entertainment, yep. was doing with me, who people kind of knew for making a certain style of entertainment. And then the the actual premise itself, you know, the idea that we were going to... 100%. Right? The idea that those two people... We're going to then, you know, talk about... Uh, it's rare that I've done a podcast where there are cows <laughs> heckling in the background. I hope people... I hope, people I hope people don't think that that's my dog snoring. I hope that, that they can hear the cows. Cows in the paddock down it's the bottom so of the hill. Amazing. Uh, uh, mooing. But um, it was, yes. So it was a, a, immediately a super successful show. Now, I had had previously, you know, successful things to various degrees... But Maxi bomb, Maxi bomb, Max. Maxi bomb. Yeah, that's mostly what I was talking about. Uh, well, up until that point, probably one of the best paid things that I'd done. So no complaints about the Maxi bond and the good people at Maxi bond. Um, if they ever, I might need to go back at some stage. I've got a no ad policy while we're doing Gruen, and that's Fair really, enough. it's really got me a man. It's a long time in my life now that I haven't been able to do things. There's been a few lucrative offers along the I way, bet. as you can imagine. But I um, Uber eats. Yeah, well, that oh, geez, yeah. See, pays well. Well, you know, when they when they cancel the show eventually, um, <laughs> then I can uh, cash in on it if I'm not too old at that point. But I hope so. I hope uh, you, been, you know, we've been lucky enough. It's been the number one entertainment show at the ABC for all of those twelve years. Literally every single year for the last twelve years. It's, it's insane. been the number one entertainment show at the ABC, and it's incredible. The audience has been incredible. They have stuck with us for so long, and I honestly do believe the show is better now than it ever oh. was. Well. It sort of teaches you a lot of stuff, not the least of which um, research really matters. Yeah. Um, I mean, it always I'm always delighted to see that every show has a lever file of research. You know, like it's not just turn up. We'll let's just be funny. Let's talk about some ads. That's not what's going on, right? There's, and I admire the weight of effort that goes into every single show. So there's a lot of staff. I think the research, that's a good one to just stop down on for a second because the team behind the scenes, the people who are doing that research, yeah. are the real reason the show is still, you know, on air, you know, for so long. Because every time we have a problem, I mean, it, so much so that it has become a bit of an unofficial mantra of us behind the scenes, which is we just need to go and research more. Yeah. Every time we have a that's that is our solution to every time we're stuck. Yeah, yeah. Let's just go and find something out. The best things that are ever on the show are just from us digging that one step further and finding out that thing that we needed to find uh, out. Uh, yeah. We never put a joke in the show, and you'd know this, you see it up close, but we never put a joke in the show for the sake of making a joke. The mm. jokes are always based on something that we found, something that we researched, some extra piece of information that somebody went to the effort of finding out. And, and that's what's so interesting, isn't it? Because there is depth. Yep. So, yes, it's about ads and ads are shallow, but actually the, the depth that Gruen goes into is, is fascinating or, or fabulous, I should say. The other thing which, of course, um, the research then manifests itself in is great writing. And that is... The spine, the spine of the show, is just formidable writing. And again, it just reminds you that in really all entertainment, really, whether it's an ad, whether it's a comedy show, um, whether it's a movie, whether it's a TV show, writing's everything. And 
So the effort you put into the writing is that's that's what we see on the on the TV show. So I always talk about, I talk about it being the spine of the show. I don't know whether you, you would agree with that, but that's how it strikes me. The spine is built on brilliant research and then stuff happens around it. Yeah, and I mean, look, it is. And this is the great thing for me because obviously John Casimer, who is the co-creator of the show, was the head writer of the show for a considerable period of time. But the great thing about John also is that and the reason the show has been successful is there's a lot of people involved in our show that started in entry sort of positions who are now in the senior positions on the show it hasn't been a show where you know when andrew left when anita left when john left yeah they went to explore different opportunities but when they left the show didn't fall apart because they had spent a lot of time developing the people who would then be able to take over their jobs and understand their jobs and you know when Soph became head writer, she had already written under John and then John off the books, you know, would run her scripts, you know, give her advice. And the same as, you know, if, if and when Soph decides to, you know, like, I mean, James Colley, who, you know, really, yep. you know, works, a lot of those brilliant monologues are, you know, a lot to do with, you know, like often I'll just have half an idea and, you know, say, what about this? Or he'll have a great concept and we'll work on something together yep. or like the way that he can understand what it is that I want to achieve and he's just growing into it. You'd imagine there's a succession plan in those rooms for who it will be next. Because when I go into host, because people think the conversation is rehearsed and that's the one thing that I'm always like, Mm -mm. no, I never know where it's going to go. I know the spine. So this is why I mention it because Mm. we work on the spine. Mm. Ideally, this is the story we would tell and how we think it will unfold as a segment. However, <laughs> the first time I ask something, somebody might like say everything that we were going to... You're not supposed to say that. Yeah, I mean, that's happened. <laughs> that, does happen. <laughs> that does happen. I'm like, I'll oh, save it. I had three more clips to show. I but, know. But that's one of the ones... That's when you... That's one of the nerve-wracking ones. But it is... Because the writing is so good, you can take it a good spine, but not just so good because... I have been there in those meetings as we developed that. Yeah. I know it back to front by the time that we get there. It's not yeah. like I'm coming in because the truth of it is that I then have to conduct a panel show where I don't know what anybody on the panel is going to say at any time. No. So I need to know that the spine is solid and right. consistent right. so that I can then not worry about that at all and listen to the conversation and know when it is that I can move it on, when it is yes. that I can, you and, know. And you do listen to, obviously you're listening to the conversation because you need to be able to do that, but I also know that you're editing the show as you go, which is, <laughs> you know, which takes a skill. I've got to ask you a question. Yeah. How often do I say something way too early? Oh, I mean, I don't think that you are... The worst. The worst. I mean, I just think it's a thing that happens. And sometimes we take that as a, um, that we haven't structured it right. Mm. Because if we take too long to get to the point, and we often have this conversation in our meetings, which is like, you know, this ad, let's talk about this beat, then this beat, then this beat. And you're like, sometimes we've got to say, no, it's impossible. Because as soon as you start talking about that first beat, you're going to automatically go, we want to talk about the music, but we want to talk about the emotion of it, third beat. You can't because the minute somebody starts talking about the music, it's intrinsically caught up with that emotion or that advertising line. So we 
so we often have those yep. like because in a meeting we're suddenly like we like to do this this and this but you're like yes we like to imagine them but if somebody's answering that are they going to be able to just talk about that without that's right you know the broader context and there's also there's always a competitive context to it as well mm-hmm. right. i'm going to say it before somebody else says it. <laughs> exactly right and so that plays that plays a big role in how people talk and how they behave in you know behave in, in inverted commas yeah. you know what i'm saying and you know and i will often you know i know i want to be competitive but i also know that i need to you know you need to give people time and air and not be like that and so there's always that during any the, the filming of any of any of the shows there's always that internal tension which is basically competitive yeah and so you don't want to wreck it um by being too competitive but equally you don't want to not be competitive because that's probably part of that's probably part of the show absolutely oh uh, no absolutely so then so we go back 12 years um it launches and it's immediately super successful. The thing that I was going to say is I'm used to having, you know, my, you know, face on the side of a bus or whatever. Oh, actually, we've never had that for growing. So that's probably a bad example. Still asking. Show about advertising that's never had a fucking ad. That's one of the great ironies. Oh, it went viral. <laughs> um, so you become a very well-known person, recognizable person. Mm in places outside your industry, you're obviously very well known already within your own industry, but you suddenly, the general public Mm. know who you are. And not only do they know who you are, but particularly early on in those early years, you know, a lot of the, the show was about, you know, the sort of conflict between Mm -hmm. you and Todd. It's less so now. I mean, Mm -hmm. it manifests itself in different ways. It doesn't become that sort of, you know, argument, the two old guys from the Muppet style argument that it perhaps it was, you know, early on in those days, it's become a, you know, a different beast and a different yes. thing. And it's probably more fascinating when one of you is actually counter to yes. the, you know, an idea but, that you people would predict that you have rather than the other way around. Yes. But, but particularly early on, that was the dynamic. We're talking about the era of MasterChef. It also mm-hmm. just launched at the time. So everybody was fascinated by like, you know, Gary and Matt and um, George mm-hmm. and, uh, there was a bit of the same sort of vibe with suddenly Gruen, or the Gruen yep. transfer, as it was called back yep. then, of course. Great name. And you did not think it was a great name. Don't I pretend. did. I did think it was. Yeah, absolutely. Didn't you think it was going to be hard to sell? Were no, you like- absolutely not. Ring okay. Andrew Denton right, right. now. Right. I was very, I was positive from the start. Must have been Todd. Todd must have thought it was Todd a bad name. Todd thought it was a bad yeah. name. Well, there you go. See, that's unpredictable. People would have thought it was the other way around. Even no, I wasn't. thought it was the other way around. It wasn't. <laughs> uh, so... Um, <laughs> You're suddenly a celebrity. Well, of sorts, you know, of but sorts. you're recognisable yep. you know, to people who would not have known you previously. What mm. what was that like? I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. You know, and I sort of explain it in, like this, but it's it's true. My, I, I was, my mother says hello to everyone, mm. you know, as she, to this day, she walks the streets, you know, going to the shops or whatever, whatever she's doing, going about her daily life. And she says hello to most people. And she says, good morning. She's a very friendly person. So that was that was who I was with as I, as I was growing up, obviously holding on to mum's hand, walking down the street, saying, seeing her say hello to everyone. <laughs> so all of a sudden when I've got people saying hello to me, it feels very comfortable. I'm, I'm, not uncomfortable with it at all. In fact, I like it and I still like it. 
Um, I, I'm, I'm happy to talk to anyone and thoroughly enjoy the, any conversation that I have, really. Very rarely is it difficult. Um, in the, Like 99 out of 100 are delightful conversations. Um, you know, I catch the tram to work and, you know, and I'm not saying I have a conversation every day, but often I will. Uh, perhaps the most exciting and invigorating time when um, was early Gruen days and I was on the board of the Melbourne Football Club. That sort of all came about at around about the same time. And Jim Steins was the president, Jim Steins, who was a genuine rock star, um, and we were trying to raise, we were raising money, the debt demolition for the Ds. And I would walk around the MCG with Jim, um, literally um, asking people for money. Well, Jim was asking the money and I was collecting the money. And people knew who I was because I was with Jim, because I was Demon, because of Gruen. And there was an amazing amount of positive energy off the back of that, you know. And I'll never forget that time because just this wonderful um, Jim Steins, Gruen, the D's, as you know, Will, just a great passion. Um, and I was so thankful that Gruen sort of gave me that extra energy off the back of um, being on telly, being with Jim, being at the MCG, helping with debt demolition. Yeah, and um, yeah, I'm very, very thankful that that so all those stars aligned at that time. So your role on the show, though, on an ABC show, yeah, like you know the the truth that you. I mean, we joked about it earlier, but I, I say it all the time, and I've said it to you before. You know, this is, and I've said it on this podcast several other times when you weren't here, but. You're the one person the show couldn't go on without because I you were the you're the key to the success of the show as far as I'm concerned because we needed somebody who would proudly yeah. back advertising yeah because everybody else on the panel most of whom make their living in the advertising industry exactly like you know often come on and then talk like they don't really like advertising and <laughs> the show was never well it was just going to be a very different show if it had been that we would not have had the capacity we had this idea and definitely andrew but it was definitely part of my passion as well like i think we had this shared understanding that the show to work yep. needed the support of the industry yeah and that it would not work if there wasn't somebody we couldn't be critical if there was not people who were willing to defend because yeah. otherwise it became just a very different yeah. type of show than the show we wanted to make. And we felt like the best way to have these conversations was that the magicians would be more willing to reveal their secrets if they didn't feel like that they were going to get crucified for revealing the secrets. Yeah. And, but that said, it does mean that particularly for like, you know, a certain demographic of the ABC audience, you know, you become then... <laughs> The pantomime villain, right? Yeah. Todd becomes the golden boy with all the golden opinions, which is as untrue as you know you being the mm -hmm. devil incarnate, you know who you know Thank you, like, would do anything <laughs> to you know earn a dollar. Neither mm. of those things are true, but because mm. of the way that television is made, and particularly because as I used to always say to people, they go, "Oh, Todd and Todd and Russell, that you know they fight all the time, blah blah." blah. And I said they probably. 95% of what they believe probably is the same. It's just the 5% yes. they don't believe that is diametrically different. And yes. that's the stuff we leave in the show. <laughs> exactly. because that's the good telling. Two, two people disagreeing is much more interesting <laughs> totally. than two people agreeing. So, totally. And so, but but by the nature of that, there is a, you know, I mean, you're the one who then 
has to carry that a little like mm. publicly. And, yep. and, you know, it's the first thing I always say to people is how incredibly generous you are because sometimes, you know, I mean, I, I think that I, and I hope that you now know that you are, you know, safe with me. And, of course. You know, we're having yep. fun. Yeah. Yeah, even when I am critical that it, it might be, you know, that it comes in with, you know, a lot of love. Yep. Um, but back then you didn't know that. No, I, I, I didn't know that, but I also didn't mind. Right, interesting. Yeah, um, I I didn't leave that the stage thinking, oh, those bastards are stitching me up or stitching us up. And I didn't, I didn't at all. Um, I, I at the, from the outset, saw it as that opportunity to defend yeah, or to explain, mm. to extrapolate, whatever you know. I, I, I from from the outset, I, I said, "Hang on, this is very interesting." And being there with you was very, very interesting, right? Because I hadn't been in a position like that to you know defend um, as well vigorously or as as hard as, I, as as hard certainly as I had to at that time. I so I didn't I didn't feel under siege. I didn't feel under attack. But I did feel like I had to work really, really hard to, you know, hold my position, and and then I think that we worked out pretty quickly that we could have fun with that as well, yeah. So we could have fun with my crazy, you know, ideas about the power of advertising, yeah. So I could get my point across about how powerful advertising was, but then laugh at how ridiculous it is, yeah. So I think that we worked that out quite quickly, actually. Maybe not in the first series, but I reckon by the second series we were in a in a much more of a rhythm around. Yes, I, I believe what I'm saying. I do fundamentally believe what I'm saying, but I also know that we can have fun with it. So, Has there been ever times over the years, you know, and look, I mean, I, I've had times over the years, so it wouldn't be unusual if you ever had times over the years where you thought about walking away from the show? Never. No, not even, not even for a second. Um, I like it. <laughs> I like it too much. <laughs> Not at all, actually. Never. Um, you know, and I, I'm the one that's got to get on a plane, although you you, you were getting on planes recently, so apologies for that. Um, you know, I get on a plane at midday, get to the get to the studio at 4 o'clock, get on a plane at 10 o'clock, go back to Melbourne. Um, it's it's for a 10-week period, so it's it's, it's relentless but not crazy relentless. Um, I, I'll maintain to this day it's an utter privilege to be there and – um, uh, one day, one day it won't happen. I, you know, whenever that may be, that'll be a sad day. It's given me incredible opportunities in my life. I get to say things now to people, and they listen. Um, exactly the same stuff was coming out of my mouth 15 years ago, and they didn't listen. So I'm very, very thankful, and take nothing for granted off the back of it. Have you ever got? Uh, and I'm not asking for specific examples, just more, this is just more a general question, yeah. which is, has there ever been pressure from, you know, clients, people that you've worked with, you know, around your involvement in the show? And again, I'm not trying to hang you out to dry or look for anything particularly juicy, but has there been times where you've had, you know, pressure, you know, to change what you've said, moderate what you've said, no. give information about what we were going to talk about, no. any of those sort of things? No. Well, actually once. Okay once and and then that once i i then made a phone call the next day and just said that's never going to happen again and i will i will this is about me i i will be the person who either falls or the opposite so let's not let's not try and load me up with anything let's not load me up with a point of view a perspective a position that's not how we're going to roll with this 
So if someone's going to hang, it's going to be me. Right? So once. So I did make myself clear after that once when it was people were trying to influence what I was going to say. Yeah. So I didn't enjoy that at all, um, and I put an end to it. Um, when you become a public figure suddenly, and again you're about to, um, you know, start on another job, a huge profile Melbourne radio job, the Breakfast Show on Three RW. Uh, congratulations, by the way. I think Ross Stevenson is one of the Genius. great yeah. radio and, and comedy geniuses that this country has ever produced. Like Mate. a super, super intelligent person, and I'm sure that you're going to be absolutely fabulous on the show. And I'm not going to ask you to speak to that now because you're not, you haven't started, no. and I don't want like what happens is. You'll say something here and then somebody will report it and then you have to walk into your new fucking job, you know, <laughs> justifying some nice comment that you made at the start. So I'm not going to put you even in that position All at good. the moment. All but good. what I am going to ask you is, you've had some experience of, you know, now that you're in, you are a public identity, like, you know, a genuine public identity, part of the national conversation, there has been times where, your name becomes mud for yes, something has. that you have done fairly or unfairly. Yes, it's true. Uh, but regardless of the fairness or unfairness of it, often I've found in my life is sometimes you get away with some stuff that you shouldn't have got away with, and and in return sometimes you get slapped for some stuff that perhaps you shouldn't, you didn't deserve to get slapped with, and you've got to treat them both exactly the same. <laughs> is unfortunately the thing. How how do you deal with that aspect of it, and how yeah. are you? Because yeah, that will only become more of a yeah. an issue now that you are you going to be performing on the most popular breakfast radio show in the country. <laughs> and when I say to you, I haven't dealt with it well. <laughs> How do you reckon I'm going to go? Oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, this is one of the things you know. Um, look, I. I I don't even know how to say this, Will, other than I like to be liked. Yeah. Yeah. And that is that is a part of me. And um, I have to practice at being comfortable with not everyone's going to like you. Yeah. So I do, I do genuinely have to think that one, think that through when it happens to me. And it does happen. Um, and the aggression, as you know, Will, the aggression that can come your way is it can be nasty and it's even frightening to a point as well. Like not overly frightening. I don't think I've been really, really frightened, but I could see that happening. Uh, but it certainly can be very aggressive. And, um, and even when I perhaps in a social context have deserved it in that society, you know, might not like what I've done. The majority might not like what I what I may or may not have done. It's, it, I I have not enjoyed it. I don't enjoy it. Um, so I need to practice at you know that um, putting on that shield, I suppose, or the the armor. Um, I'm I am certainly better at it now. You know, if we go back early early days, criticism. You know, you know if you, I mean, you, you get on Twitter. You know, in year three, year four. Oh my god! And that's when Twitter was nice. Yeah, <laughs> and and read what pe- and read what people are saying about you. Yeah. You know, so that was at the beginning of you know having a voice. Um, and then as time goes on, and you do things, say things, things get into the media, which people don't like. Yeah, it can get pretty full on. So no, I'm I'm happy to admit that I don't particularly enjoy it. Right? But I, um, that's the bed. 
comes with the territory, doesn't it? A little, a little. And you're right. I'm about to do something which means that that'll probably ramp up. Um, so we'll see how I cope. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least you're not working at SEN where they have the text line in front of you on the screen. You, did, have you ever been into SEN for an interview? Um, so SEN, for those people who are listening all over the world, you might not know what SEN is. Sorry, Hutchie, not everyone knows what SEN is, but um, SEN is a Melbourne sports radio show. And uh, in their studios, in the sports radio station, in their studios, the text screen, so the line yeah. where people are giving their comments, which normally oh, right. the producers are seeing, <laughs> In SEN, it's in front there of you. There it is in front of you. When you're a guest, so you're oh, just getting mate. a running commentary oh. on whether people think you're good or not. And it turns out not, not everyone thinks you're good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but then again, Will, you know, um, you know this much better than me. And I suppose that's what I'm about to walk into. You choose it. We don't have to choose it. No. Yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah. I mean, I have spoken about that philosophy of mine a lot on this podcast, which is the idea that often when I'm in the middle of something and complaining about it that I have to remind myself that I chose to do this yeah and that if I can and I can also choose not to do this yeah oh here's a question then huh. did you ever think that I was I mean because you've seen me when the show was very testing to me for a whole yes. bunch of reasons that I don't want to necessarily back over because I just don't think there's any because I'm in such a happy place with the show now and it is you know a, a really satisfying it's part a joy, of my life right? and I think the show is really reflective of who I am and what my position is now and all these sort of things in a yes. way that perhaps over the years you know I had to fight for yep. um, I'm not going to relitigate those arguments but uh, were you how did you think that I was going to walk away at any stage <laughs> how scared of, I, of you was I is <laughs> another way to put it Will yeah. um no, I wasn't scared that you would walk away. Right. I wasn't scared of that because if you'd walk away, then the show wouldn't be on and then I'd be... then Because the show was never... It wasn't my life. Mm. It was something no. that I was fortunate to be involved in. So I didn't see it as... Yeah, if, if you walked away, that would be really sad. I'd be upset, but then, you know, that would be it. Mm. And that's okay. No, I wasn't scared you'd walk away. I was just scared of you. <laughs> it's like, geez, Will, how's Will today? Right, okay, well. <laughs> let's just get on stage and do a good show. All right, right, let's go and do that. But then, but that's what would happen, right? You know, there is a, there's a very interesting thing which I, um, for, you know, Will, a, a performer, in the end, you have to perform. So even if you're not happy and even if stuff that's going around you isn't what you're enjoying and you would actually prefer to be somewhere else, as soon as you're on the stage, you do the job. So I always took that lead. I, I, I would watch you, obviously, pre-show, um, and I would just make sure that I was playing no role in making you, you know... <laughs> Any angrier? <laughs> no, but I, I, I again, I it, look. I don't think I behave any differently now. Actually, I, I go to the ABC studio. Um, you and I get on the stage. We say hello. We talk about the footy, and then we do the show, and then we go. And that's cool with you and I. We're very happy that that's how it works. I don't. I think. I think that that's. I think for me, that's an important part of 
the rhythm of doing things like that. I don't, I'm not quite sure if I'm explaining myself properly. No, no. I think we have a there's a very strong connection, and I think there's a strong connection because you and I both know what we're there to do, and we do our best. And with I'm very thankful for it. You know I'm thankful for it. And then we go on to the following week. So I was never judgmental of you either. I didn't. I, at no point was I judging the fact that you were scary. I, did, I wasn't judging that. I just I get it. I get it. Right. Because one of the other things that um, you you certainly I've learned, in particular being on the show, but then working at Channel Ten, the relentless nature of talent. That that is, if you are talent, it is relentless. And if you have to be at a studio at two o'clock, you have to be at that studio at two o'clock and you have to perform. So the the pressure of that is extreme. So you might be very well paid as talent and you might be doing a one hour show, for example, but you're not really, you're not being paid for the one hour. You know, you're being paid for your life. Uh, it does take over your life. It is your life. Everything about it determines the outcome for your life. So... I, I I I suppose watching you, learning from you, got to have respect for talent. And I think that when I went to 10, I think that the talent that I worked with there, I think they understood maybe there was a simpatico or an empathy. I, I just recognised the pressures that they were under um, and thoroughly enjoyed working with all the talent at 10, I think, as a result, because I'd had our experience. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a, It was... I, I, it feels very indulgent to say in retrospect because when I mean, the analogy that I use most of the time is that making a show is like, you know, like flying a plane, right? In that you can't fly a plane unless every single person does their job properly. They won't let you take off if the curtain doesn't work between, you know, mm. first class and business class. So, you know, you've got to check every single box, every single thing. Everyone knows what it's like to be delayed on a runway while they have to change one blinking light or one yeah, mm. small thing, right? That's. But at the end of the day, they chuck the keys to somebody and they say, you, now you've got to fly this. And everybody yep. who's on here, your their life is in your hands now. Yep. And that's an incredible amount of responsibility and uh there was a period of time where you know there was confusing messages around you know how i would fly the plane and right. how it is that i should be able to fly the plane and right. you know it, it took a while for i mean even just in a really practical sense that initially on the show they wanted me to wear an earpiece and it became a yeah you know i think my instincts for what would suit the show have been have proved to be pretty good over oh, yeah. the years. Like, yeah. I was the one that from episode one was like, "There's no reason for me to walk out and fucking take some applause from people. I should be sitting at the desk at the start of the show." Yeah, I was the person who said we shouldn't have live tweets on the show. Like, I was I had to fight these fights often. Yeah, and that's when often you've seen me. You yeah. see me at the point where I've just been fighting with somebody for two hours about, <laughs> yes. you know, why we should the back end. Why we shouldn't have tweets on the show, or yeah. why we should have this, or why. And I think that a lot of the decisions that I made over the years, and I fought for, and that that were fought against by people, yeah. have ended up being, you know, the right decisions for yes. the show. But the problem is that. I, I think now, you know, with what I know now, well, the trick is 
get yourself, you know, everybody who like, you know, is in the right spot and is all working towards the same aims rather than, you know, having to have these fights all the time. Right. Yep. yep. But you can't just immediately wave a magic wand and have that happen. No. And I do to this day think that if I had given in on some of those things, I think that if I had, um, you know, had the earpiece in my ear while I was trying to host that show, that that would have been the end of the show. I still to this day believe that's the case. I was like, the minute you I get out there, Man. you've got to let me fly the plane. And the problem was that early on it wasn't my plane, right? Yeah, things yeah. weren't set up how I wanted them set up. Yeah. And for a while there was a lot of lot more fighting to get that done than I would have liked, you know? And now that I live in an environment where because I never thought it made me better. Like I've never been one of those people who needs the, you know, I'm not like one of those footballers who needs to be, you know, smack me in the mouth before I go out to work. I much prefer to be relax than I do to be on edge to do a good show but it's very interesting to I don't think when I've spoken to people now I think if I was ever in the position where I was you know you know advising someone else who was hosting you know their sort of show that I've learned a lot from the mistakes that I made along the way that I would love to be able to impart you know on that person but you wonder if you would be able to because sometimes you just like there'd be temptations to just go well this is how i would like i understand it and this is not something i judge andrew or any of the people for because andrew denton has just spent 20 30 years being the guy who knew how to do something and so occasionally when i couldn't do it he would just tell me to do it how he would have done it and i knew that wasn't right yeah but i wasn't good enough at what i did yet to go but i know how to do it all i can identify is that's not right as of being instead of being able to say and here is the alternative that i will do now and sometimes it's very sometimes it's incredibly difficult to find the right words to articulate an idea right yeah so it it can be incredibly difficult to fight for a idea because an idea is ephemeral right and to formulate those words to get those words in a power, in a powerful shape to win a, a, a discussion around what is a creative it's a creative discussion right the making of TV is obviously a creative discussion so how you win is really it's very 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 difficult well also because none of none of us really know I mean this has become right. a bit more of our mantra these days which is we're all guessing yeah sometimes just as the boss I have to have the final guess like we will be in a meeting and we will all be discussing how it'll work or how something will work and we'll get to that point where someone has to make a decision about how it's actually going to work and unfortunately you know when I get my fucking check every week for the show part of it is because I'm meant to make those decisions but do you like being in that do you like being in that seat I mean yeah I guess I do yeah yeah I guess I do I, I do think that you know, I have a sense of, A, what will work for the show because I do think that I know the show back to front and I have I care about the show very deeply and, mm. um, you know, it has tortured me over the years and there were definitely times that I didn't want to do it anymore and there right. were definitely times where it made my life a complete and utter misery and it was definitely times where I would fear going in there and go home in fucking tears, you yeah. know, like... And, you know, that's all very true and yes. it was the hardest... Early on, I mean, it sounds fucking ridiculous for a television show, but early on, the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire fucking life. And I think to this day, other TV professionals understand, and I'm just talking about it now just in a general skills sense. 
Yeah. I am presenting a show, but also that has an improvised component that I have to be then, you know, you know, making sure the conversation still has some shape. I'm involved in the, from start to finish in the development and, you know, editing and shaping of the fucking show. Like it's a lot, you know. Absolutely. Well, but, like I say about fi- uh, uh, airline pilots, you can't pay them enough. Well, no. I work at the ABC, Russ, so it turns out they can pay me enough. There's a real tight cap on what it is they can pay me. Hello. Imagine if I had a show this successful at a commercial network. Mate. <laughs> Wonder which of my houses we would be recording this in. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, enough about that, but that was a fun chat. I like to talk about that. We, uh, it's rare that I get to reflect well, it's, on Well, it's been incredible. On uh, the show. Here we go. What, year 12? Year 12. Incredible in so, October. tell me then. This gets us to a good spot. Firstly, advertising during a global pandemic. Right. Have you... uh, What's your general impression of what we've seen? Like, I mean, the whole... There's the cliches, obviously. We're Mm. all in this together. We're here to help. Yeah. You know, know, in these unprecedented times, all those sort of things. The new normal. The new normal. Yeah. What's your approach as an advertiser when something like this is going on, which genuinely is unprecedented? Oh, absolutely. Well, there's sort of there's the textbook and then there's the reality a bit, Will. So, <laughs> Will. So, <laughs> the, what I, yes, I would say this, but what an incredible opportunity for advertisers. Mm. Um, obviously, media consumption's gone up. Um, so, free to wear is enjoying you know, audiences that they haven't enjoyed for years. So when free-to-air TV is being watched, it means advertising is being watched. And that means that advertising uh, advertisers, I should say, are able to actually put messages out there which are useful. And so this has been an incredibly important time for advertisers, advertisers with utility in particular. Right? So there is something that I have, Deliveroo. So Deliveroo is on television. Of course, they should be on TV because people need the utility of Deliveroo. So I think really smart advertisers have understood that they can build their business off the back of this of this time. So you've got, I mean, you know, one one of my favourite ads is it's not a particular, it's not a creative ad at all, but it was for Westpac, and it was a it was a woman who was dressed like a teller, and she was informing via via a thirty second TV commercial how to do mobile banking, because there would be tens of thousands of people that have not done their banking on their mobile phone, and then all of a sudden they had to do their banking on their mobile phone. So this is Westpac advertising utility. And if you're not doing that on television, um, and of course radio, print, etc., if you're not actually advertising it, how do you inform your customers? It, it's incredibly difficult to communicate, to communicate to customers if you're not recognising the power of ads. So, yeah, huge opportunity for brands and for businesses. So the textbook says those that keep spending during a downturn slingshot out better. Case study after case study, downturn after downturn that says that that is true. And that is absolutely fundamentally true. The issue is it's much tougher than that because... The, the media... The <laughs> That's a good, some good snoring. <laughs> yeah, that, right? that actually is the dogs, not the cows. <laughs> you know, it's just Russell saying typical advertising stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've trained it to heckle you by yeah, snoring. Oh, here he goes. Yeah, here he goes. Here, it's, it's true, right? If You know, the best, the best brand advertisers, Procter & Gamble, massive brand advertiser for the last 100 years, they know that in every downturn, if they, if they double down on their ad spend, they slingshot out with even better 
even better market share. So that's just the truth. Of course, if your revenue line is basically stopped, right? If you're not selling anything, then it's pretty hard to keep advertising. So there's been a serious decline in ad spend um, around the world. Um, Australia's, you know, depends a bit on which number you look at, but Australia's down a lot. You know, like let's say 30 to 40% advertising revenue down. I mean, that's just insane, Will. That is genuinely unprecedented. So around the world, like in Northern Hemisphere markets, 60%. So you're going to have massive stress. Media companies are going to be under well, are under serious stress. Um, that then flows through to production. So is there an, is there the money that you need to produce the TV? And what's so interesting about that is you've got stress around production because, of course, you can't have people on set. Although hopefully that's starting to um, loosen up now. But you haven't been able to have people on a set. Your revenue de- is declining, and yet people are consuming more media than they've ever consumed before. So you need to produ- to be producing more just at the time that you can't produce it at the time that the revenue isn't coming in. So lots of stress going going on. Because it's, it's very interesting what you've just described, isn't it? Because that's the, particularly, like, I mean, the, the free-to-air television numbers went through the roof. The roof. You know, people were suddenly, you know, watching these shows. A lot of them were going up, you know, 15, 20% on oh, yeah. what their regular numbers would be. You know, all these people in front of the TV. But as you said, every day, a story about, you know, money not going into advertising. That's right. And of course, you can understand in some perspectives, like there are companies that are worried about whether they'll actually ever be able to come back and be a business, let alone whether they'll be able to spend That's right. money on their advertising. That, but it is a counterintuitive idea because there's never been a greater opportunity to get eyeballs on your product. Exactly. So look, if you're if you're in the hospitality industry, well, if you're in the tourism industry, etc., you're not going to be spending money on advertising because clearly that would be silly. Australian tourism have a bad run, don't they? <laughs> that beautiful commercial that they did with Kylie. It's like, isn't that so... I just think that's so tragic for them because that was genuinely a great piece of advertising. You I'm, know? I'm interested in... Uh, we, we talked about state-based advertising in, right. in our previous series, but I think that we're probably going to have to... Uh, revisit it this year because by the time we're back on air because particularly because the government is investing a whole bunch of money in regional areas to help them so you're going to have a lot of local councils particular areas you know local government i mean you know like who are you know saying we've got this money from the government that we're going to use to entice people to go to locksport or to entice people to go to you know batemans bay or whatever it is and suddenly we're going to see a lot of and of course, the fact that they're not going to let anyone out of the country. That's right. Yeah, the, well, the borders are going to be closed. And if you're going to have holidays, if you're going to you know, have tourism, it's going to be state to state. That, and there hopefully becomes a fantastic advertising war, right? Off the boat. Yes, states, states advertising what's awesome about New South Wales, what's awesome about Tassie, but then regions... Um, so why Kangaroo Island is a brilliant place to, you know, you can imagine there's going to be a, a brilliant ad war that's going to start and start pretty soon. Um, and let's hope that they are really seeing seeing the opportunity for what it is, as in each of the regions are seeing that as a brilliant opportunity because, did you know, Will, 50 billion Australian dollars leaves Australia every year and gets spent in overseas markets? 50 billion. Now, you're not going to get 50 billion spent in Australia you know, they're not going to, you know, the, the 10000 that I was going to spend on a holiday in Europe with my family, you're not going to spend 10000 going to Kangaroo Island. 
but you might spend five. Have a pretty good time at Cranky Island <laughs> for ten thousand. Eh? <laughs> you would, right? But you'll probably pocket five. Yeah. You know, I, I'm making up the well, I'm not yeah. making up the, the the big number that goes overseas. So what needs to happen, of course, is that the Australian marketplace gets competitive and it fights for those dollars. And so you would hope, and well, it will happen. The regions are going to really, really, you know fight for the money and hopefully get a lot of the money and I think that's obviously that's going to be great for Australia you know great great for our internal economy and tourism and then competition is going to make sort of people be more inventive yeah it'd be hopefully a great time coming up I mean it's definitely going to be a different time mm. without a doubt I mean the idea of the closed borders because the borders are going to continue to be closed yeah at least for you know the purposes of tourism both inward and outward for a considerable period of time because yeah. it's not just about Australia getting, you know, on top of things. It's about then the rest of the world, the people who might visit Australia being on top of things, you well, know, we, in that we, global pandemic yeah. sense. Yeah, I mean, if we just did a poll right now, if we said to the public, hey, public, you know, do you want people flying in to Australia? I mean, who's going to say yes to that? Mm. You know, so we don't need the health authorities, health authorities and the government to say it's not happening. None of us would want it to happen. But what we then all need to do, I think, is recognise that this is a great sort of, you know, local economy opportunity. We need to, we need to really double down on our own economy, um, and we need to start spending money pretty soon. I think, Will, the money go round needs to start going round. So that's interesting because that's your. I mean, clearly that's the perspective of. I mean, like I mean, obviously a lot of people. Yeah. You know, and I can't even you know pretend that. Um, I mean, you know, you know, I won't. I. It's not the sort of thing that I would like to talk about so publicly because I'm very lucky that I have have had a very great life, particularly for somebody who tells dick jokes to strangers for a living. <laughs> I've had a very good life, and I'm sure when this is all over, I will go back to having a very good life. And the bit in between where I'm an unemployed stand-up comedian isn't a terrible life either. It just has a looming, uh, you know. But it's it, but, uh, it's an unexpected life. It's an unexpected yes, and it's an unexpected reconfiguring of my life that I just have to work out how to deal with and yeah. manage and rebound from and all those various things. And there are other people, many other people who are in much more dire situations and there are businesses, other sorts of businesses yep. that can't just, you know, if you run a bar or a restaurant or these sort of things, a lot of them have had to, you know, pivot. That's one of the new buzzwords, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, look at a new business model. You know, um, live shows will at some stage come back, I imagine. If they don't, then then I really need you to donate to my Patreon, people. <laughs> but I... Um, well, you, 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 can, you'll, you'll, you, you will use your creative skills yeah. in other ways. But as somebody said to me recently about the time that people like me are going through, it's not about that those things have been cancelled, it's those things have been delayed. I can survive the delay. As long as the delay doesn't last forever, I can mm. survive the delay. Um, there are some businesses, obviously, by the nature of them, that can't survive the same sort of yep. delay and so the idea of getting back to business you know i definitely understand how do you mitigate the risk of getting back to business versus the risk of you know because that's what we're right that's as the we speak yep that's we're exactly in that right now which is we've decided we need to kind of reopen society yep. people were ready people were had been locked up for long enough. You, I mean, you see this worldwide. The fact that in countries where they haven't flattened the curve, when they're not on top of things, they're still reopening because there was just a sense that people had been yeah. inside for too long and they needed to get back out. Well, the we're, mental damage, the economic yeah. damage is starting to... Right? We're much more lucky in that we we actually are in a society where we can consider those things, The you know... Um, 
how do we go back into the world? Is it a return to normal? Is there things that we've learnt during this period of time that we should be hmm. taking back as we as we restart and rebuild? Like, what's your take on all that? Well, it's it's certainly not a return to normal, um, and I'm not sure. I don't know when that's going to be um, because obviously vaccine and you know I think we're who knows right I think we're potentially a long 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 way away from normal I keep on thinking about the um, Japan Olympics 2021 the 2020 Olympics which are in 2021 midway through next year so obviously an Olympic Games is the world flying into one spot and then flying back home can I right now imagine that happening no, no. I can't imagine that happening so that sort of gives us a sense that we're I don't know anything it just doesn't feel like it will so that tells us that we are now this is now normal behavior and normal behavior one and a half meters washing hands downloading an app you know um, being being you know making sure that you're good to go because you're behaving in a COVID safe way right so I'm, I'm convinced that that's sort of medium term anyway so if that's but, if that's the reality yeah there is always going to be a difference between what you've just said. I mean, we went to lunch today. Mm. Well, we picked up some takeaway food for lunch. Fair to say that I bet, you know, half the people there didn't have an app. And yeah. At least half the people there weren't socially distancing in any way. Yep, true. We were outdoors. Yes. So that <laughs> that plays a bit of a role. <laughs> I mean, you know, how lucky are you know, Australia, seriously. You know, our space has played a role for, for certain, you know. It's not like we're in New York all on... You know, and where we are right now, it's not like we're on top no. of each other, right? We're, ge- we're geographically very lucky. Uh, we're uh, we're yeah. an island where we can shut the border. Yeah, much yeah. like New Zealand. I mean, I think Jacinda Ardern did a great job, mm. but also part of the reason they're able to get on co- on top of it is that they are a small, well, two islands, but they're yeah. islands, yeah. and we are also two islands, but yeah. we are an island, and exactly. you can essentially shut the borders, and and we're not all jammed in together. That's the, right. And I think why you're seeing the biggest hotspots being in the biggest cities is, you know, clear that, you know, people in, you know, close proximity to each other is yep. a major factor. That, that That's right. Yes. That's right. The good thing, though, Will, is it's been a really creative time. And I, I think in the business context, it's been really interesting. I, I've, I, dare I say it, I've actually enjoyed it in a, my business life mm. during these last few months. Um for a few reasons. The first reason being I'm sitting still. So I'm at a desk in my home, obviously. And I start the day at the desk and I finish the day at the desk. So I feel very organized. I don't feel like I'm a flea in a bottle. Um, I'm not getting on any planes. I'm not, there's no sort of extra, uh, extra effort to do business. In fact, business has been far more effortless, which is I think really interesting. The other great thing that's occurred is that people are saying yes a lot quicker. Um, so there's that sense of um, urgency and certainly emergency in some pl- cases as well. So you have an idea and people say yes, and then you work out how you're going to do it. That hasn't happened for a long time. I mean, I used to do a presentation um, over over a number of years and the opening slide was a flushing toilet and I would say, I'd, I'd ask people to put up their hands if they felt that Australia was constipated. And a lot of the majority of people would say, yes, Australia was really feeling constipated. It was feeling socially constipated, 
politically constipated, economically. It was just so hard to get anything happening. It was really tough to get yes. So I do feel like there's been, you know, in a macro sense, there's been a bit of a, you know, the movement has has really been good um, because you, you there was a lot of stuff that was getting in the way. Um, and I think a lot of that stuff has just gone. Uh, and every everyone in the business context will all agree that, yeah, there is a sense of urgency, a sense of entrepreneurship, a sense of creativity, a sense that we need to really, you know, find new ways of doing things, pivot, as you say, that, that it's been very energizing. So I know that there's all sorts of other stuff that's not good, but we need business to be good. It's It's vital that business is good. And I feel like we might be entering into a really interesting creative and entrepreneurial period i mean i hope that that is the case you see it on a micro level you know you have seen yeah in fact i was reading a, you know, an article about uh you know a, it was there might have actually been a series of articles about different chefs but it was about you know these kind of you know world-class fine dining chefs who never would imagine that you could do a takeaway from the restaurant, you know, yeah. like who were driving around in their car delivering, you know, gourmet lasagnas and, you know, all these sort of things because yeah. they themselves had had to look at. And the thing that the message that kept coming out was when we go back to having people in the restaurants, this will still be now part of our business. Yeah. And we have been forced to do something as, as like, and I'm only using them as an example. That's true. As a top class chef who would look down their nose at the idea yeah. of, you know, putting a box of food together to send to somebody's home, who, who have now gone, not only do I have to do this for my business to survive, but what I've discovered in doing this is that there are an opportunity for people to enjoy my food in a completely different way, yep. for people who might never be able to make it into the restaurant to enjoy my food, to experience what it is that I do, for me to have an extra way to, you know, employ people, pay, you know, my business, these sort of things. So the fact that that's my micro... Oh, that was my stomach. <laughs> not the dog. That's not the dog or the cow. <laughs> and the cat just came in. That was my stomach, though. And whatever that coffee that I had after lunch. But I... Um, that, that, to me, is a micro example... Yes of what you're talking about, about those yeah. things that we just would never consider to do. It just was not done for people to do it that way. And then suddenly when that artifice goes away, yeah. you have to, you have to you do You have to do something. And, and in a way, I mean, the education sector is really interesting. You know, I bumped into a, a, a former client. He works at RMIT in Melbourne. He said to me, Russell, we've got to, we've got to a digital learning place in six weeks we hadn't got there in six years. Yeah, you know. So for six years, we know that we've got our, we've got to get ourselves into digital learning. Let's call it that. Boom, they're doing it. I'm chair of afters. Um, we've got online online learning that they've created off the back of it. One of the courses I'm trying to think that what the course is. It's got four and a half thousand customers from all around the world, right? And that that's literally happened in effect overnight that they've managed to produce that. So I'm at PwC. I'm still at PwC um, until the end of July. We have we've developed a platform called Project Project Spirit, and Project Spirit is a combination of PwC, Google, and Salesforce, and it's a platform. It's, we we built it. We there's no money exchanged between the three of us. It's like three of us partnering. Um, we've built this platform, which is a which is basically about connecting offers and needs. Right, so it's about capacity swapping, capacity ideas. I, I've got a refrigerated truck. That refrigerated truck has got 12 hours that it's not on the road. Someone else needs a refrigerated truck. So it's like a matchmaking service. 
Tinder for business is really what we've created. So we did that in, took us maybe 10 weeks, Google, Salesforce, PwC, all being entrepreneurial and making something happen. It was really invigorating and exciting for all of us that were involved in that. I, uh, on a, like for people listening to this podcast, will know that, you know, it's been coming out twice a week, most weeks, uh, you know, and all my other podcasts, Tofop and Fofop's back and yep. my footy podcast. When I finished at the radio last year, I was talking to Christian O'Connell, who's a, he'll, be one of, he'll be one of your big uh, yeah. Melbourne competitors. the number he, one on the FM he's in good. Melbourne. And uh, you guys are the number one on the AM. He, incredible talent. Christian and a guy that I have a a great deal of time for, but he's listened to the shows for years. And even when he was in the UK, he had, he was familiar with, you know, some of the shows. And um, he actually said to me at the end of last year, when we were talking about it all, he was like, are you finally going to concentrate on, you know, turning this into what it should be? Right. Because I have done it. Like we're about to do TOEFOP. When people are hearing this, July 2 is our 10-year anniversary of doing that show. <laughs> but it's always just been a hobby, a side project. And this thing was definitely something that I just did in my spare time. You know, when I could find some time to squeeze it in, mm. I would do this. And, you know, it's grown a, a really huge audience now. Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, people like the show. Um yeah, you know, I've had to accelerate my thinking around this because it was all I had left. I, I mean, I really, it. that's the truth of it. Of you course. know, I finally sorted out my Patreon. I've had my Patreon up there for fucking two years or whatever, but I'd never posted anything. I'd never replied to a message. I didn't even know how to log in. I had to get, you know, but but suddenly it was, yeah. I thought, fuck, I'm going to have to pull this shit together. And exactly. absolutely, when I come back out the other side of this, this world will be in a much better shape than... Yep. And I still have dreams and ambitions for what else it could be now. Mm. In fact, I have dreams and ambitions for what else it could be now that I did not have right. before this because, exactly. again, you've had to just suddenly go, well, how can I make this work? And But, but just generally, we've seen this as a highly creative time. Yeah. yeah so just, you know, the, you know, the wonderful so, the social media platform, the, you know, you know, TikTok's gone nuts, right? But TikTok... It's a, it's a creative platform and people have enjoyed expressing their creativity, everyone's creativity, and everyone's got a voice, everyone's got an opportunity to build a business. You know, I've um, I've got a my 22-year-old son, two of his mates are going to start a – they're going to start a business. Now, why are they going to start a business? Well, it's going to be pretty hard for them to get really good work, isn't it? Right. Right? So start a business. And I, I think that a lot of that will happen. Um when I was in France after 2008, so, you know, it really hit hard in some parts of the world. Mm-hmm. And I was speaking to some people, you know, in their mid-20s. Um, they were being highly entrepreneurial post-2008, you know, starting businesses in all sorts of, you know, fields. Why were they doing that? Because there wasn't any jobs. So this is an interesting, again, an interesting opportunity for people to say, oh, okay, I will create my own job. I'll create my own business. I'll be entrepreneurial. Right? I, huge. And we need that shift to happen as well. We need, we need old Australia to just let new young Australia emerge. And that might be it as well because that – Next generation of people, next generations of yep. people yep. have had a very hard time getting, a, you know, a foothold in what has been established because this country has been so lucky 
over the years yep. that, you know, and the GFC being another good example. I mean, we are genuinely lucky. Like, if you don't feel, if you feel entitlement living in this country, then I judge you. If you feel lucky, if you acknowledge that yep. for a lot of people living in this country makes you about as lucky as you can be. Yep. I think that's also a good place to then jump off to a thing that we've spoken about many times before, which is the idea of recognizing those who don't have that same experience you know, in that country. If yep. you can look at what you have as ra- like rather than I am entitled to this, but rather go, aren't we lucky to live in a place? Like look at the shit that went down. We are so lucky to live in a place that has a generally pretty good healthcare system yep. that generally has pretty sensible politicians, whether regardless of what your particular, like what we saw in this time was a group of people who wouldn't normally agree with each other good, get it? together for the sake of the nation. And, yeah. and you know, we don't live in one of those places where people are not wearing masks to Trump rallies just to own the libs. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. We Sometimes we can have elements of our society that does get to that and i think that's the stuff that we you know need to fight against but i think appreciating that we are lucky very lucky to be here then gives you that gateway into well let's look around our society and understand those who have not been so lucky that this version of australia and the country we live in isn't designed or set up for them and perhaps we can try to share some of that luck so it's a good thing for everybody definitely uh do you think the current situation where so many people have suddenly had to rely on the government support, you know, other the community for support on other people will give us more empathy for those who found themselves in in bad circumstances previously yes. to this? Yes, I do. And I and I think that Australia, Australians, you know, I think we've shown a great sense of one. Um really extraordinary uh, in particular i think that the young australians have been incredible um, because they know that they are not at particular health risk and yet they are quite willing to do you know what's required to keep everyone healthy i mean really just uh, amazing and I hope that all of Australia... This podcast today has had so many sound effects, by the way. I noticed the, bird, the, the birds, birds are really <laughs> firing up now. It's, <laughs> like a, it's a real, it's a real, sy- real symphony. I hope that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so where was I? So The, the next generation, the next young so, people. So they, they have sacrificed a lot. Now, and of course, there's an insane downturn just at the time that, let's say, they're graduating from university. Really difficult. I hope that all of Australia recognises that that's what's happened. Yeah, so all, I, I sincerely, sincerely hope that older Australia understands the sacrifice that younger Australians have made. So as we as we move, hopefully, into, into a growth period... We need to make sure that the spoils are shared and that the opportunities are shared and there's more opportunity for younger Australians that they've, than they've ever received before. And this is opportunity in its broadest sense. Um, we need to make sure that they're not burdened with stuff that gets in the way of them building a, a decent life. Um, so that that's all about government. That's all about policy, right? So you can have a thousand ideas around that, but just generally speaking, I think there's a philosophy that's required there. Um, Let's just call it intergenerational fairness. It's a it's a super set of words that we don't really hear 
from either side of politics. What is what is what does intergenerational fairness look like? So we, we, I think we need to look at that. The other thing which I've really enjoyed from um, this time is a reminder how, of how important the states are. Yeah, so um, I've always been a federalist, Will. I think the states are a critical part of who and what we are, and we've seen how important states are during the course of the COVID period. Um, the National Cabinet's been brilliant. Good on them for keeping that going. That's precisely what should happen rather than this you know, theatrical nonsense of COAG. It's awesome that they're doing that. We're all seeing... Um, as citizens, the importance of states. You can't. The further the further away democracy is from the individual, um, the the more problems you're going to have. The more centralized power is going to be. You don't want centralized power. You want power dispersed. So, yeah, states. We're seeing how important states are. So it doesn't matter whether it's a liberal state or a labor state. They have shown how critical they are to service implementation and obviously the rules and regulations and laws. So I've actually really enjoyed that. Um, uh, as part of what we've learned, because uh, states deserve their moment. I think that it, we've been a reasonably well served by our state leaders. I yeah. think there might have been other times where yeah, the right people might not have been in charge. But I, I think that in a general sense, and people yeah. will have individual arguments around you know particular decisions of particular people for particular reasons. That's right. I, and yeah. that's absolutely understandable. But in a general sense... Broad overview sense, I think that... I agree with you. We've been well served. So question, Will, for you, if I may. Yeah. So I, I'm, not sh- I'm not sure that the media, just generally speaking, I'm not sure that the media has understood that we're, right now we're not in a binary time. So it's not black and white, right? We are in a time when we are all in this together and we're all trying to find our way through. And in finding our way if through... If you're Ben Lee, by the way, how much money have you made <laughs> during COVID for the music licence of right. we're all in this together? Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> Is I he know. the one person, poor old little Ben Lee, <laughs> He's sitting well. around in LA going, I mean, I know it's terrible, but... <laughs> we're all in this together. <laughs> anyway, I've noticed that the media hasn't... Ne- the media seems to be still asking, asking questions that are... Fi- they're, they're, they're binary, no? They're still trying to find that... That neg- the negative headlines, yeah. what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to get the politician, the whomever, to give them the sound grab, which is the negative, which gets them the clickbait. So I don't think we're in a clickbait time right now, and yet there still seems to be the pursuit of clickbait. I, I've, so an example that I will um, talk about to this is, uh, so when we're recording this, because this will come out in the next week or so, so it'll be pretty connected to uh, when we're talking about this, but... So there were relaxing of restrictions all over the country. Um, Victoria, who, um, you know, Dan Andrews has been, it's been one of the more strict states yep. on, on every level of this for pretty good reason. It's been also one of the most yep. infected. The The approach seems to have suited, you know, the times. Yep. Like it, it made sense. But it was being relaxed, you know, for the, all the reasons that you're talking about, which is that, you know, there is some imperative for mental health reasons, for community reasons, for business reasons, all these sort of things to, you know, get things going get things again. Going. Yep. Gets criticised for doing it too late by the media. You know, I'm not talking about the usual no. opposition to them who are doing it for headlines, mm. but you'll get the criticism of, yeah, you, know, you haven't done this fast enough. Or... So then what happens is there's a couple more infection cases. He comes out and says, well, 
you know, we were going to do it a bit faster, but we're just going to put a pause on that because mm. we just have to, hmm. you know, circumstances have changed. And so we're going to adjust what we're doing mm. to the circumstances. And then gets criticized for the media of going, oh, well, you were coming back too quick. It just feels to me like there isn't a binary there. Everyone's guessing to a certain extent. That's right. It feels like it is the sort of thing where you're just like, nobody knows. Don't, don't pretend someone's got something wrong when you don't know mm. for a fact what the right thing is. That's right. That's right. Absolutely happy for the media to call out somebody on saying something. In fact, I think our society would be better off if instead of presenting, you know, a one side and then the other side on a whole bunch of issues, we were happy, just happy to go, these are the facts. And then, you know, we will go from there. Yeah. But on something like this, where we don't have the facts, it's where great. we don't know the facts. Right. It's great. Mm. Right. And I think that it's, it's tough for the, it's tough for the politicians to admit that it's great. Mm-hmm. They, but I think they've done a pretty good job at that actually. Mm-hmm. But the media, the media needs to play along with the fact that it's great. Um, and then, of course, what we've discovered is how important advertising is in this in this situation as well. So, communication from government around you know COVID safe behaviour, um, you know they've spent a enormous amount of money both federally and in in the states. Again, because how else do we get to know really? You 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 have to have the relentless part of advertising communication to get. You need you need a hundred percent of the population to to know what is and what isn't appropriate. So the only way you're really going to make that happen is through spending a truckload on media. So, okay, so the airlines aren't spending money, but my God, the governments are. So that's hopefully that's been some some somewhat good news for the media. Somewhat good news. It's still it's more down than up, as you know. Uh, what's the? Did you learn anything about yourself during the uh, quarantine period? That I like being at home. Um, and that I'm, I'm much better at my at a desk, uh, and not being a flea in a bottle. It's been really good to learn that, Will, because I've had thirty years of. If I said to you, I've been on a plane every week for thirty years, it's only a bit of an exaggeration. Yeah, so it's been fantastic to be. Um, I like when I say I've got to know my home. That sounds crazy, but it's true. Um, I, I've spent so much time getting up, going to work, coming home, going going overseas, going interstate, whatever. I've hardly been at home at all. So I've so enjoyed being at home. Um, yeah, um, I'm quite, I'm actually, I've managed to cope being by myself much better than I, I would have thought. I haven't been by myself all the time, but I've spent quite a lot of time by myself. Um, with family, you know, at other part in other parts, that that's been okay. That's been fine, um, and I'm very very grateful for having lots of ideas and you know being able to sort of distribute them. Yeah, and as I say, I've got more yeses lately than I have in the past. <laughs> well, that feels like a good uh, place to finish. Uh, I, one more question, though, because mm. this is uh, was suggested by one of my Patreon subscribers. You can subscribe to this show, patreon.com slash philosophy. It's basically like a, a crowdfunding that puts together 
you know this show so it's uh, it makes sure that uh, podcast mike who edits together all these episodes and helps me you know book them and, it, unless i'm just having lunch with one of my friends and i say <laughs> come back to the house and do a podcast sure. which is how this one went so yeah. podcast mike doesn't get paid for arranging this one i arrange this one uh no but he does all the editing putting it all together um and of course james fosdyke who does the original artwork yeah. for each of the episodes Amazing. and uh you can contribute to that patreon page there's been it's been amazing, Russ, because obviously in a time where people, a lot of people don't have, you know, the income that they might, they might not ordinarily yep. have, um, there's been a massive uptick in the supporters uh, there. And we're aiming for 5,000. So that's our current target is 5,000 uh, a month, uh, which will cover two episodes per week, all our costs associated with two episodes per week. So that's our first goal. Got if, it. We, if we get to that, we might, you know get some other goals involved but that's our first goal so we're doing very well tracking towards that but one of the things that i've enjoyed particularly is that uh if you send me a message on the patreon page i will respond to that message and for the first time ever i've had time to yes respond to those messages i i have a policy of not reading uh on social media twitter facebook those sort of things i don't read replies but uh, here on Patreon, because people are, you know, obviously supporting the show yeah. and they'll often send me quite a considered email message about, you know, a particular guest or something they're going through in their life or they'll give me a guest suggestion or they'll just mention something that they would like in the podcast. So this one was suggested by uh, people in the podcast and they said, I, I would have asked you this question last time. Uh, they said, can you ask it again? Because I'd like to know if people have changed their mind or oh. if they've got a new perspective uh, post-COVID. So the question is, I have a time machine. Huh. You have a round trip to any point in history, in your past, or in the future. You can mm -hmm. go forward if you would like to, but you get one round trip on a time machine. What do you do with that round trip on a time machine? Oh, my. Okay. So I'm, I'm very interested in creative times. Yeah, so even if you go to the first industrial age, I'm I'm interested to see what that what that was like. Um, I'm interested to go to Silicon Valley in the 1980s and see what that was like. You know, so all that insane entrepreneurial activity. Let's then we'll fast forward and we'll go to Silicon Valley 2000. You know, mid 2000s and find out what was going there. All this coming together, incredible. It's money, it's technology, it's digital, it's entrepreneurship. I want to I want to be at a time like that, so I want to be at a at a time of ignition, like the first industrial age, like the Silicon Age. I want to be at a time of ignition. I want that time to happen in Australia. I want us to find a way. I want to I want to fast forward to a time. Let's say it's the let's say we're going to call nineteen nineteen. Let's say we're going to call two thousand and twenty three. The beginning of the Roaring Twenties, because who knows? Like where there was the Roaring Twenties a hundred years ago, the Roaring Twenties came off the back of a war and a pandemic. All that youthful energy that got excited about the night in the in the nineteen twenties, they were unbelievably entrepreneurial, creative. They did some incredible things. They generated amazing amounts of wealth and opportunity. So I'm hoping that there's a time in the not-too-distant future where there's a alchemy of creativity, technology, digital world, entrepreneurship, money. Um, I want it to happen in Australia. I want us to create something amazing here. I think we – I've always thought we've had the potential to do that. Um, I 
despair during these times because we have been reminded of imagine if we had put decent thinking and money and not played political games over the internet yep because that's the biggest thing that holds us back from you know having that style of innovation in any field almost and particularly in these times it's been the most apparent thing if we didn't have the 70th best internet in the world we had the fucking seventh best yep that doesn't even need to be the best yep. let's just get it in the top 10 like yep. we are on most other things yeah you know the capacity for this country yep. to be able to completely transform the way our society exists and when you talk about your you start up valleys, and I know there's been you know talk about this before, but there's no reason that every you couldn't Newcastle couldn't become totally. the arts hub of Australia, for example. You know, totally. all the artists who can't afford to live in major capital cities, you offer them incentives to go and like if you had proper internet and facilities, you completely redo Newcastle as the artistic hub of Australia. It's great for tourism, it's great for blah blah blah. Yep. It's a train from Sydney. If mm. the internet's right, you can do that. Or where I live now, the northern rivers of New South Wales, is obviously incredibly artistic community. It's an alternative exactly. community. People come here for you know kind of an alternative lifestyle like ah. you know there are these opportunities for these communities outside those major city hubs and whatever it is if geelong was our silicon valley or if you know wherever what like there that there is the capacity for those things i think we've been slack on yep. having dreams about things that are any more than short term yeah. that's the- part of the problem and sorry i, I, okay. I really want you to speak this but yeah. the only thing i was going to say is part of the problem i think and what i see right now is i understand this idea at least for those who have interest in us getting back to normal i understand if you're a person who owns a business at the moment your only priority is getting the doors of your business open again and starting to be able to pay for it again and blah blah, blah all those sort of things i am at, i understand the idea of dealing with the short term yep. but we're ahead of the world yep in how our country has dealt with this disease yep. at a time where we are still in a reasonably comfortable place economically as a nation, if we've ever had a better opportunity to rethink, like rethink everything, like go, this is our thing. Like, okay, what, how are we going to fucking sort energy? Like what's it going to look like? Yep. Right. Yep. Let's have that fucking conversation. Yep, absolutely. Like, you know, let's not get caught up in how we've been having that conversation for the last decade. Let's have a conversation about, how are we going to reorganize energy, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and have it. Let's have a conversation about, you know, what we're going to do with technology. Let's have a conversation about what businesses and industries Australia is going to rely on going forward. Yep. Let's have a conversation about how we deal with country towns and city populations and, and what that's going to look like. I mean, have those conversations. I know, I mean, in a way, and look, I mocked it, and so I have to be the first person to put up my hand to say that I mocked it, and I think it was worth mocking in a way. But when Kevin Rudd had the ideas, mm. the the idea behind that, the twenty twenty the twenty it was the idea was right. Yeah, I don't know if the execution was right, and I think perhaps it was one of those things where maybe the execution almost spoilt the idea. But if you look at what we're doing right now, the shape that this society is in right now, and the idea of what that was, which was a group of people going, what will Australia look like in the year 2020? Mm. That's a good idea. Totally. So what happens, what do we do now Mm. to have a really decent conversation about, and like, you know, we've spoken, again, we've spoken about this before, have that conversation about going, this is a great time for us to go, how do we reconcile the relationship we have with the First Nations people of this country? Pretty cool. Critical, yeah. So there's, 
Massive question, Will. Yeah. There's so much. There is so much that we can do, and I think that the uh, and, and I have no doubt the current government knows that that is true. Um, uh, and the next budget is is going to be really interesting for all of Australia because clearly there's an opportunity in the next budget to change some stuff, you know, and to and to point us in a in a new direction. I, th- I think there's amazing opportunity for co- let's call it brand Australia. Um, how we articulate ourselves to the rest of the world, huge opportunity for us. I mean, really, because, yep, we've, we, the country's done an incredible job in the last few months. And yes, we remain prosperous, wealthy, well-managed, decent, right? There's so much good about Australia. Um, we, we want investment into Australia. We, yes, we want tourists. That's going to be tough in the near term. We want investment. We want really clever expats there's a million expats out there in the world why can't we get half of them back come home come home right really as we know will really clever successful expats around the world they will be sitting wherever they are in the world right now with their partner their family saying geez that australia it isn't it isn't bad is it right so we need to reinforce that with yeah. them. Rem- that first thing you could do is just like look at all the successful Australians who live in America yeah. and just say, I reckon we can get them. Huh, come on, right? <laughs> I mean, this is if you're Jeez. ever going to get them home, I know, this right? is a good time. Well, you know, um, we were laughing the other day that, about this idea. That it's like you almost need to get a whole bunch of, you know, powerful expat Australians. They, they need to be wearing red shoes, you know, Dorothy <laughs> shoes. Yeah, there's no place like home. No. So you just get, you know... The photograph of that awesome banker that's in New York, and you get you get them wearing the red shoes with no there's no place like home. And then the end line for Australia, I'm convinced that the end line for Australia is it's magic. Australia, it's magic. There is something it's colloquial, of course. I've just been out here with you. It's a magical place, part of the world. So it's colloquial. How was Byron? It was magical. It's magic. Something about our flora and our fauna, right? I mean, if you think about the fact that they are magic, right? They don't exist anywhere else no. in the world. How we operate, how we've dealt with the last few months. There is something, where, right? So lucky country, we, you can't use that. No. Um, you know, we all know the Donald Horn story around that as well. So you can't really use that. But I do think there's something in that. I think there's some power in that, thinking, as, thinking of us as being magic. Australia, it's magic. There is absolutely an opportunity around renewing who and what we are. We need to renew who and what we are in a, on a number of fronts, and Indigenous is freaking critical. We have to we have to get that done. We've got to work out how to do it, how to do it pr- properly, appropriately. We need to, of, of course, take all the advice that's required. As, as I've said to you off-air before, the, the next Governor-General of Australia needs to be a female Indigenous leader. I, I like that idea for all sorts of reasons, not the least of which it's easy to do. In Australia, it's hard. Change is really hard in Australia. Constitutional change is really hard. Well, Governor-General is already in the Constitution. Like, let's just let's just do that. Mm. Now, I don't know in the Indigenous world if that's a good idea. I don't know if the Indigenous world likes that idea. Yeah. I have had conversations with many and... You know, they, and, you know, the idea that there is one voice of the Indigenous world is also... Like, right. I mean, there are many Indigenous people all who have various different opinions on things because, you know, it's like there's never going to be a particular... I mean, yeah, like, you know, these are ideas, but these are ideas that are, you know, ideas that, you know, 
will always come with a positive upside and, and people exactly. will go, well, this is the downside of that or this yeah. is the negativity. Like, yeah, and, and, and perhaps... Or it really- doesn't mean anything if it isn't backed by... Uh, systematic change. changes across the system. Of course. You know, it's symbolism. I get it. I get it. I really do get it. Mm. But it's also important symbolism because mm. if we think about, a let's say, a dignitary arriving in Australia, mm. that dignitary gets welcomed to our country. Well, it would make sense yeah. if the Governor-General is someone who literally is welcoming them to country. Yes. So there's, yeah, that is symbolism, but, geez, I reckon that's powerful, powerful. and important symbolism I would love that to happen. I'd love that to happen. As I say, maybe it's wrong and I need to take more advice on it, Just, but it is just an idea. Uh, yeah, but I mean, it's an idea where, and again, like the, I think the open to like taking advice or hearing other points of view or, you know, knowing that it's not going to fix everything in yeah. the same way as, you know, Obama being president of America didn't fix racism. Right. Like, but it makes it like seeing a, you know, if you can't see it, you can't be it. You know, that's yeah. part of the, you know, what people will say. And, and you know, I think there's some real truth to that. It, yeah. You know, it gives that, you know, for that next person to go, well, here's something I can aspire to be. Or if, you know, if an Indigenous person can be the Governor General yeah. of Australia and can represent Australia, then we start to tell ourselves different stories that's right. about... And you the, know, our country. The and, other thing about it is it's actually it's a deeply conservative idea because it's the constitution right. says as, as it is, right? Yeah. So you keep the constitution as it is, which I think is really uh, – that in itself is interesting. I've always been a hardwired Republican, but you know what? I think this idea is actually more important. If we were a republic, it's unlikely that the a female Indigenous leader would be the president, mm-hmm. right? So – you'll end up having a you know middle-aged middle-class white guy is as the president right so probably so i think yeah you know but i like talking about this stuff as you know will all right uh well we were going to do an hour we managed to do two hours (laughs) (laughs) sort of easily i've got to drive you home yeah i know i mean (laughs) all right mate uh thank you so much um russell will be uh, for melbourne people uh, in particular, but you'll be able to listen to it all over the country. They've got a nap. Uh, if you would like to listen to uh, Russell on the 3AW Breakfast Show, you will be able to do that from when? August the 3rd. and uh, 5.30am. Gruen will be back uh, in October. October's what I I've October, heard. October, yeah. Great. I can, I can, I never, I always go from when I start working on it versus when we start right. taping. We start now, right? You know, so, well, we've had, we've had some conversations. We've had some conversations. That's basically at this point, or the only point. But we had, yeah, we had a little online meeting the other day, took yeah, some stuff great. around, had some thoughts. Uh, anyway, lovely to see you, mate. Uh, you too, Will. Thank uh, you. Thank you for this. Cheers.